the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. We don't have to be identical twins to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We can have our differences with those we differ with on aspects of Christian doctrine. Let's not build a wall so high that we can't see that God's doing something in their lives. If they're making a good faith attempt to lift the name of Jesus high and spread the gospel, then we have common cause with them. are living in divisive times when many people are defining themselves by what they are against rather than what they are for. Well, today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy says it's time to put a stop to all that. We need to start working together with other Christians in humility and with respect for the sake of the gospel. The message is titled True Greatness, and it comes from Mark chapter 9 and our series called Essential Jesus. Here's Philip DeCourcy. Take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to verse 50. We're in a series on Mark's gospel called The Essential Jesus. And we're in a section where he's teaching his disciples the true nature of greatness. God wants us to live lives marked by greatness. God wants us to live lives that are significant, noticeably impactful, But we're going to see that how that is achieved and described is completely different from the culture in which you and I live. So let's look at the first thought, the matter of serving others. That's true greatness, verses 33 to 37. Jesus is leaving northern Galilee, heading southward in the first leg of the journey to Jerusalem. We read he makes a stop here in verse 33 at Capernaum. Tells us that he enters a house with his disciples. You'll notice it's in the definite article, the house. Could well be Peter's house because we read about the house back in chapter 1 and verse 29, and it was Peter's house or his mother-in-law's house. Having slowed down, they're now sitting around decompressing, and Jesus says, hey guys, when we were on the road here to Capernaum, you guys were in a bit of a dispute. What was that all about? And the Bible tells us that they were silent. They didn't want to tell him what it was about. Because the text tells us what it was about. It was about who was the greatest. That's what they were discussing. That's what they were debating with each other. This is embarrassing. No wonder they're quiet, because it's embarrassing. Isn't Jesus the greatest? 
Isn't his death on the cross the greatest thing imaginable? We shouldn't be talking about anybody else or anything else other than that at the center of our conversation because that's truly great. But what you've got is a bunch of losers who still haven't grasped what Jesus is teaching them, who still couldn't cast out a demon at the foot of Mount Hermon, and they are in a discussion about who's great. I mean, this is embarrassing in the light of Jesus' passion prediction. And it's embarrassing in the light of his teaching on humility. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, happened a long time before this moment, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The lower you get, the higher you'll achieve. Because God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. If you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he'll lift you up. Guys, what are you talking about? Who's the greatest? So he verbally rebukes them and he visually rebukes them. Verbally rebukes him, visually rebukes him. Let's go back to the text. Next, the Lord Jesus drops and plops a child right into the middle of the circle of disciples that were sitting around him very much in a kind of rabbi classroom setting. We don't know who the child was. It's a male child, a small child. Jesus lifts the child in his arms, sets him in the midst of them. Now, typically, Jesus uses children to kind of be a model of humility and innocency to some degree vulnerability. I don't think that's the case here, because Jesus says about this child, hey, whoever receives, verse 37, one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. This is an issue of treatment. Jesus says, I want you to serve and treat and honor this little one. I think by implication, Jesus is saying, hey, this little one, this overlooked person, because in the culture of the day, children were seen, not heard, largely ignored. They don't have the kind of focus we give them in our culture. And the child illustrates, represents the least of society, the weak, the overlooked, the unimportant. In our culture, it would be the poor, the disabled, the AIDS victim, something like that. And Jesus says, hey, you want to know what greatness is? Receive a little one like this, an insignificant, overlooked, unimportant person like you're receiving me. Treat them like you treat me. That's greatness. And so he verbally and visually rebukes them because this is the one who has submitted to the will of the Father. This is the one who has come not to be served but to serve. And guys, that's the challenge. I mean, our culture encourages us to strut to make ourselves the center of attention, where everything orbits around the planet me. Want to be great in God's kingdom? Don't seek to be served. Serve others. Secondly, salute others. This takes us to verses 38 to 41. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbid him because he does not follow us. And Jesus said, Don't forbid him. So listen, we're building up an argument here. True greatness is a matter of serving others and doing them good. And secondly, true greatness is seeing good in others and celebrating what God is doing in them and through them, even if we disagree or we differ. John here makes an issue of an exorcist who's drawing outside the lines. Doesn't look like the 12 know him, by implication, it doesn't even look like he was part of the 70 that's described in Luke 10, verses 1 to 17. 
Jesus doesn't seem to know him. The disciples don't seem to know him. So the disciples thought they'd act on Jesus' behalf because this guy doesn't follow us. He doesn't wear the uniform. He doesn't dot the I and cross the T where we do. And they kind of forbid him to cast out any more demons. Now, let me just pause a minute. Is that not ironic? Where these guys who couldn't cast out a demon just earlier in Mark 9 are telling this guy to stop doing that. Tell him to shut up shop. So we don't want you doing, brother, what we couldn't do. How ironic is that? How kind of hypothetic is that? Although when I read that, they were telling him to stop doing what they had failed at. I'm reminded of the D.L. Moody story. I've just finished a book on his life, and D.L. Moody's approached one day by a guy who's met more straight-laced and likes things to be done in a conservative way, and he challenges Moody. He says, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way you're doing evangelism. And Mr. Moody was humble enough to say, you know what? Well, uh, you know, there may be things that I'm doing I don't particularly, you know, like doing, but I'm trying to make a good effort for the gospel's sake, and so if you can help me do things better, how do you do evangelism? Well, a man doesn't do evangelism. All he does is criticize those who do evangelism in ways he doesn't like to do evangelism. And so Moody got onto that and soon realized that, and so he finishes the conversation by saying, well, sir, although I'm a little uneasy about the way I do things, I like the way I'm doing evangelism better than the way you're not doing it. And that's kind of what's going on here. That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, to some degree, hey, guys, I like the way this guy's doing it better than you're not doing it. And Jesus forbids them to forbid him because for no one, verse 39, can work a miracle in my name and soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. So so Jesus is kind of censoring them over their censorship and he's reminding them, hey, I've got other disciples, guys. They were maybe getting used to the privileges they had, getting a little snooty as the twelve. And Jesus brings them down a little bit and says, hold on a minute, guys. Come on, let's think this out. Now, this guy's doing stuff in my name. People are being delivered from sin and from Satan. So, guys, come on. You know, loosen up a little bit. You know, I've called you 12, and I've got a particular job for you to do, and I've got 70 beyond you, and I've got more beyond them. So, guys, keep a big perspective on the kingdom. You know, let your margins be a little bit broader than they are right now. And look, we could go in a whole lot of directions with that, but I think there just are are some applications that you and I need to make. I think this text invites a generous love of God's people. You know? And God's people come in all sizes and shapes and have got different convictions about different things. Now, to be a Christian, there's some things that are non-negotiable, right? Right? The personal work of Christ, his deity, his sinlessness, his act of blood atonement on our behalf, substitution, the gift of righteousness by faith in him, all of that. There's some things that are just non-negotiable. You've got to know this, believe this to be a Christian. And then we get into other areas. You know, how churches are set up, how churches are governed, the use of spiritual gifts, the role of women within the congregation, views on the second coming and the timing of Jesus' return and the rapture. And we get into all of this, and good people disagree once you get beyond that. There are non-negotiables, and then there are, I want to say there are things that are negotiable. They're just things harder to understand, or people have greater difficulty embracing it or grasping it. All doctrine is important. Don't get me wrong. And certainly the gospel 
gospel and the fundamentals are important. And you and I need to think that out because this text and the behavior of John and the behavior of the rest of the disciples would be a challenge to us lest we draw our circles too tight, lest our margins are too constricted, and we don't have a generous love for God's people, even those we disagree with. They've got the gospel right, but we don't agree with them on church government. We don't agree with them on spiritual gifts, or we don't agree with them on eschatology, whatever those issues are. Let's make sure that we get the Spirit of Jesus here. If they're doing some damage to the kingdom of darkness, if they're making a good faith attempt to lift the name of Jesus high and spread the gospel, then we have common cause with them. We don't have to be identical twins to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We can have our differences with our charismatic friends, with those who don't share our eschatology, those we differ with on aspects of Christian doctrine. Let's not build the walls so high that we can't see that God's doing something in their lives. I'm glad that one of the first Bible studies I went to, I'd said at my local church, was in my engineering company in Belfast, an aerospace company. And you know what? The Bible study was made up of two Methodists, one Presbyterian, two Pentecostals, three Baptists, a Congregationalist, and a guy from the Brethren. How did that work out? Well, there was some interesting Bible studies, I can tell you that. But at the end of the day, we knew Every man around that Bible study understood the gospel, loved the Lord Jesus, was serious about the Word, and we had such unity. I've never forgotten that, and I've tried to live that. I'm a very particular guy in my theology. I know where I'm at on all these issues, and I've got strong convictions about them, but I'll let my guard down when it is necessary and when it's appropriate to work with other believers who love the Lord Jesus Christ, and so must you, and so must we. We'll tell you where we're at on spiritual gifts. We'll tell you where we're at on election and sovereignty and free will. We'll tell you where we're at on eschatology. But you'll find, I think, among us and our pastors and our people, a love for God's people. We understand that the tent is big. We understand that the kingdom is great. And we've got to keep this perspective. Let's invite a generous love for God's people. Let's condemn a partisan spirit that's small and mean Let's promote a gospel-centeredness because that's where Jesus focuses here. Hey, the enemy's being hurt. People are being delivered from sin and Satan. Can't we celebrate that? And wherever I find that, despite the label, if the gospel's true and Christ is being exalted and people's lives are being transformed, I'm going to celebrate that. And so must you and I. Because it then defined the real enemies part of this. Look, you know, as a Buckeye, I support two teams. I support Ohio State University and anybody that's playing Michigan University. <laughs> because I know who the enemy is. I don't like USC, and I don't like Notre Dame, and I don't like Michigan State, but I dislike Michigan more than any of them. And if you can beat Michigan for us, we'll love you. We'll set our differences aside. We'll celebrate your win because we've got a common enemy. It's that team up north and their bombastic new coach. Okay? And you get the point. I think that's what Jesus is saying here, guys. You know, we can dicker. We can get into this. You know, this guy's, you know, he's off there a little bit. Who is he? Where do we put him? But guys, he's doing it in my name. It's unlikely he's going to curse me. And the kingdom of darkness is being hurt. He's on our side. So let him do what he's going to do. I want that spirit. 
And you need to have that spirit also. Before we move on, let me tell you a story about a man who was standing on a bridge contemplating death. He's going to throw himself into the river. Man rushes up to him, tries to talk him out of him, and says, Sir, what are you trying to do? The guy says, I'm trying to kill myself. He says, Why would you do that? He said, Well, I have nothing to live for. He says, Sir, let me ask you a question. Do, do you believe in God? The guy said, Yes, I do. He says, What a coincidence. I believe in God too. Let's, let's talk. He says, Are you a Jew or are you a Christian? The guy said, I'm a Christian. He said, What a coincidence. I'm a Christian too. He said, are you a Protestant or are you a Catholic? The guy said, I'm a Protestant. He said, what a coincidence. I'm a Protestant too. Anglican or Baptist? The guy says, I'm a Baptist. The guy says, what a coincidence. I'm a Baptist also. He says, I have another question. Are you strict and particular or are you general? The guy says, I'm strict and particular. The guy says, so am I. What a coincidence. He says, are you a premillennialist or are you an amillennialist? The guy says, I'm a premillennialist. He says, what a coincidence. So am I. He says, are you partial rapture or are you full rapture? The guy says, I'm partial rapture. At that point, he pushes him off the bridge. (laughs) And as the guy's falling, he shouts down, die, you heretic. (laughs) Now, you know that's never happened. It's a fallacious story, but it makes a point. Look how much they had an agreement. I'm this, yes, I'm this, I'm this. And then you get to a point of divergence. And it's so far removed from what's important that it just gets in the way of stuff. Now listen, I'm saying it again because I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not about to spoil my brand. All doctrine is important. But not all doctrine is equally important. And when it comes to the kingdom of God and the furtherance of the gospel, we can find common cause around the gospel and the big things of the kingdom of God with those we might dicker over on other things. Let's keep that spirit. Let's be that kind of Christian, the kind of Christian like John Bunyan who said, I would be as I hope I am a Christian, but for these factitious titles of Anabaptist, Independent, Presbyterian, and the like, I conclude that they come neither from Jerusalem nor from Antioch, but from hell and from Babylon. Or what about George Whitfield? Father Abraham, who have you in heaven? Any Episcopalians? No. Any Presbyterians? No. Any Independents? No. Any Methodists? No, no, no. Whom have you there? We don't know those names here. All who are here are Christians. It's a good perspective. Although let me touch on something. We don't want to leapfrog over verse 41. Seems out of place. Give someone a cup of water in my name and you'll be blessed. What's that all about? Well, I think that the thing that will help you is in my name. So Jesus says, now, give someone a cup of water in my name and you'll be rewarded. Now, he has said just a moment ago, receive this child in my name. Receive the child as you'd receive me. And if you receive the child as you'd receive me, you'll also receive him who sent me. He says to his disciples, what are you forbidding this guy who's casting out demons in my name? I think this is tied to the earlier verses. And Jesus has spent enough time here about their small-mindedness, their willingness to reject people, their pride. They're not willing to serve people. He says, guys, I want to remind you what it's about. Just, you know, serve people. Give a cup of water in my name. Be a blessing to people as you can. Be big-spirited and loving, and God will reward it. This mean spirit, this self-service attitude, I don't like it. So then we get to the final thought here, what I call a matter of safeguarding others, Okay? here's my argument. I think this is Jesus' argument in the text. Here's what greatness is. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Remember, Jesus isn't rejecting greatness. He's redefining it. 
You want to be great? Then serve others for their good. Secondly, see the good in others for the sake of the kingdom. Thirdly, see how bad you can be and work at not being that so that you don't overturn the good that God's doing in others. Notice verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better he was dead. You want to be great? Then don't cause others to stumble. Don't get in the way of God's work in other people's lives. Scroll down to verse 50. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Now, salt typically doesn't lose its saltiness, but many commentators point out there was salt that came from the Dead Sea that had all kinds of impurities in it, and it did lose its saltiness. And Jesus is kind of using that, hey, you're the salt of the earth. I want your life to be an influence for the gospel, for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. Don't lose that focus. You're on earth to influence others for good, not to get in their way. That's what verses 42 to 50 is about. Serving others, saluting others, nigh safeguarding others. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy from the series Essential Jesus in this message titled True Greatness. This entire Essential Jesus series in Mark is available on our website for streaming or downloading or for purchase on CD. Go to ktt.org. Well, Philip, Know the Truth has reached an unprecedented time in the life of this ministry, and it's obvious God is calling us to a greater faith, commitment, and sacrifice. I mean, that's really true, Wayne, and we're totally excited about it. You know, we certainly want to raise an Ebenezer stone and say, so far has the Lord helped us. We want to redeem the time. We want to do what the will of God is. We want to get the Word of God out to as many hearts and as many homes as possible. And so we, and this year we embraced an opportunity that was presented to us that allowed us to expand into very large markets here in the United States. I think I said on an earlier broadcast, we are now potentially reaching 170 million souls for Jesus Christ. And uh, this took us into major markets and major cities like uh, San Francisco and and Denver and San Antonio and Houston and Washington, D.C. and Atlanta, just to name a few. And that came at a hefty price. Uh, But you know what? William Carey, who went to India for Jesus Christ, said, I expect great things from God as I attempt great things for God. And frankly, I'm not exaggerating it. That's where this belongs. It's in that kind of category. Uh, We've really stretched ourselves. But you know what? We believe God's in it. Uh, Several friends of the ministry have already stepped up to take some of that deficit away. If you're listening today, can I be honest with you? Uh, We've got to make up somewhere close to $300,000 before the year's done, uh, to be able to continue to embrace this opportunity. I don't want to go backwards. I want to go forwards. And with your help, we can. We want to be a voice that's clear and convincing to this generation. So can I say to you this today, if you're listening, would you think about becoming a truth ambassador? You can sign up and support us $25 or more a month. And we can eat this elephant one bite at a time, a one truth ambassador at a time. And maybe you have the means of giving much more than that. And I'm sure many of you do. So I want to p- appeal to you. If you could give us a one-time gift that would eat into this large uh, commitment that we have made, would you do it? 
for God's glory, for our good, for the winning of souls, for the health of the church, for the speaking into this nation that seems to be forgetting God more and more each and every day. So come alongside us, become a truth ambassador, or give us a a large or one-time gift. We'd really appreciate that. Help us reach this goal of getting rid of this $300,000 before the year is done. Call us today. Go online at ktt.org. I will be deeply thankful. Please take advantage of this opportunity and become a Truth Ambassador or give a single gift right now by calling 888-644-8811. You can also give that gift online at ktt.org. We're thanking you for your donation today with a book called The Reformation Still Matters by Michael Reeves and Tim Chester. This month, we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and this book will help you see its relevance in your own life. Request The Reformation Still Matters and join us as we reach millions more with the truth of God's Word. Call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to come back tomorrow as we wrap up the week with more teaching from the Gospel of Mark. That's Friday on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Hey folks, Rich Lee here. Well, my pillow has now made it easier than ever to own a my pillow. Not only are they still offering a 10-year warranty, not only is it guaranteed not to go flat, made in USA, washable, dryable, and the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, but now here's their best offer yet. For a limited time, go to mypillow.com or call 800-517-3636 and use promo code WAVA to take advantage of Mike Lindell's four-pack special. You'll get 40% off two my pillow premium pillows and two go anywhere pillows. Now you can take your my pillow with you when you travel and even give one to a friend there is no excuse to delay any longer purchase the best pillow i have ever owned call 800-517-3636 do that today and get the four-pack special that's 40 percent off two my pillow premium pillows and two go anywhere pillows my pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you'll stay there longer call 800-517-3636 notice the difference a good night's sleep can make at home and now even when you travel call 800-517-3636 or mypillow.com promo code wava Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.